Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Oatari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who also rents his piano, apparently. <laughs> I am the Adam Glass, and it's actually impossible to rent a piano in America these days. It's also impossible because, to sell uh, one. You... No, no, that's really, really the issue. You don't have to, se- you don't have to rent one because you can just uh, go to any uh, recently passed away older person's house and get one for less than a dollar. Well, yeah, I mean, you. In uh, fact, you, you should... in general, you could probably get them to pay you to take it. My parents had to pay people mm-hmm. to take their piano away because Absolutely. not a fucking Absolutely. soul wants one. So it's like I don't know. I I don't fully. I don't fully grasp the economics of it. Uh, I do sort of, uh, because you still people still buy pianos. That's the thing. Yeah, people still buy new pianos, but that whatever sort of secondary piano market is completely gone, and I assume it's because homeownership is just non-existent now. No one wants to move a piano every right. Exactly, forty. You have months. to own it. You you fundamentally have to own a house the most. to have yeah. a, a a non-digital piano. Like you just have to. Right, like having any right, right, like in right. so and then like if you that, pro, that takes like a huge swath of Americans out of the market, right? And so now you have right. to pay people to take your piano away, but you still have to pay top dollar to buy a new piano. Before we get into the movie this week, I do want to talk about our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash lost in criterion. Over there for a dollar a month, you can help keep us going and get access to some bonus content. Oh, you woo. You woo early, but not at the bonus content. Uh, I well, I was more thinking, I started thinking about air horns and whether or not we should just like, <laughs> every every so often my brain says to me, what if I we don't. made this podcast into a morning zoo? And then I think, no, that's stupid, Pat. (laughs) Just stop it, Pat. That's stupid. Neither of us can be trusted with a reaction panel. No, no. Uh, It's it's, it's, (laughs) the only way we could. No. Neither of us could be trusted with it, but we're more dangerous if we both have access to it. Oh, absolutely. Unless some we have some sort of veto power over each other. I don't know. We're treating it like launching a nuclear weapon. Uh, Yeah, we both have to (laughs) turn the key at the same time. Patreon.com slash lost in criterion. Over there for a dollar a month, you can help keep us going, get access to some bonus content. Uh, we do non-criterion film. I put together a list every month. Uh, supporters get to vote on what movie we're going to watch. Sometimes I um, never see the list. Yeah, we have a lot of fun. We watched a good chunk of movies. Um, the $1 mark gets you access to all those back catalog of episodes, to the new episodes, to the vote. Uh, there's over 71 episodes over there right now. It's uh, We've been doing it for a while. It's uh, fun. We have a lot of fun. Uh, a little above that $1 mark for folks who can afford it and want to help us keep going. Uh and get thanked on air for it. We have that $5 mark. And thank you so much to our $5 supporters, Stephen Goldmeyer, Eric Coronado, Andrew Jarrett, and Christopher Otto. We names. Above that $5 mark, we do something pretty dang special. Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we watched recently, once a month. And I get that printed up on a postcard, mail that out with a little personalized note to all our $10 and above supporters. 
Thank you so much to those supporters as well. Thank you, Tracy McGrath, Nina Bojnak, Jason Westhaver, Patrick Yako, and Adam Speakerman, our current $10 supporters. Yes, thank you. If you want to see those postcards without committing that $10 mark, head over to redbubble.com. Search for Lost in Criterion there, and our store will pop up. We got all the past postcards up there uh, available to buy as postcards, as greeting cards, if you need a little more writing room. As stickers, if you don't need any writing room at all. Well, you could write on the back uh, or the front. You just maybe somebody won't be able to see it. It's true. Uh, as pins uh, and a couple other things sometimes if the art works out. But yeah, redbubble.com, search for Lost and Criterion. You can see that stuff there and purchase if you feel like it. Thank you to everybody who has purchased anything off that Redbubble. Thank you to everyone who supported us on Patreon over the years. And thank you for listening. Pat, this week we are talking about Leon Morin priest uh from 1961 directed by jean-pierre melville uh melville we've seen a lot of films from in the past mostly gangster films uh not only though he did but do not some only. other stuff um you know just you know mostly things that i not, uh, not that yeah, yeah we sometimes like him I do. I, I mean, legitimately, like, I actually don't think I, I... I'm trying to remember. I feel like like I liked Le Cirque... What is it? Le Cirque Rouge or whatever. The Le full, Cirque Rouge you liked. You I liked, liked more than I did. Yes, exactly. The Samurai, you... you I we did just our annoyed normal, the fucking uh, shit French Orientalism thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. We liked Le Enfant uh, Terribly. Like, ter- I cannot say that name of that name, but you know. Le Enfant Terrible. Yeah. Uh, the Dulos, I believe. Um, I'm trying to remember that one. I think we liked. Uh, probably. We probably. Yeah. I, I actually generally like gangster stuff fairly well, as long as it's right, not. Right. Um, if, as long as it's not being really hyper orientalist for no reason. We have just seen so much French gangster stuff, and most of it is Melville. Uh, yeah. So we've just. Yeah, we got that. Um Previously, we did watch Army of Shadows, which is basically his uh, magnum opus as far as French resistance. Uh, oh yeah, okay. Films go, one, which yeah. is a pretty, a pretty solid part of his career too, because he was a member of the French Resistance, and Melville is in fact his nom de guerre from the French Resistance, uh, because he liked Herman Melville so much. He picked Melville as his last name for his secret identity during the Resistance, and then kept it to direct movies. <laughs> Which is just delightful. Uh, but yeah, Leon Morin Priest is another sort of French Resistance movie from him. Yeah, sort of. Yeah, uh, It's very operative yeah. there. It is, it is based on a 1952 novel by Beatrix Beck called The Passionate Heart. Uh, and is fairly faithful to the novel. Uh, excising some bits to shorten the film, though... Apparently, his original cut of the movie was over three hours long. Uh, our cut here, the released cut, is two hours and eight minutes. Um, the Criterion release has a video marked deleted scenes that is about five minutes long. I did not watch that. But I don't know what's, de- I don't know what's deleted about them. Uh, I don't know if they were alternative takes and I just wasn't paying enough attention the first time. But I watched it after watching the movie, and both of the scenes contained in those deleted scenes were things 
I remembered from the movie. <laughs> so I uh, don't know what's going on with that. But um, yeah, uh, the two hour and eight minute cut, like I said, is is at least 50 minutes shorter than the longest cut he had okay. at one point. Uh, most of what was excised was more about day-to-day life under occupation right, from what okay. I've read. Uh, more... Which I can, I can see know, wanting to put folk. in there because, honestly, yeah. the, what we... Not to start, like, sort of being really hypercritical of this movie or anything like that, but, like, I do find that the stakes feel very low. Despite the yes. fact that it is, occu- is German occupation of France, which should be an extremely high-stakes situation, in the end, our character yeah. doesn't really feel like they're in that place. Because they're largely, except for a few key moments, they're largely unaffected by it, seemingly. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Something Melville sort of tried to do was distill... Uh, distill all of the action of the various ways people lived under occupation into key characters who become sort of archetypes instead. Right. Uh, And I'm not sure that that works necessarily. No, I I know what he's trying to get what he's trying to do, but I think it actually sort of ends up turning against him instead of for like, you can understand why you would do that because you're like, okay, well I can't put the entire French occupation, the entire occupation into this movie. So I've got to kind of like give you the gist of it sort of visually and sort of story-wise. Right. But in, you, you really do end up with like, you literally end up with like, like truly like stereo, like really like hardcore, yeah. like this feels like in many ways they feel like a bad dime store novel version of the thing they're trying to get across. Uh, they're right. extremely right, right. one-dimensional. Christine sort of has an advantage in that she does become a one and a half dimensional by the end of the movie. Right, right. right. <laughs> uh, because she starts out as the hardline Patane supporter who is spouting anti-Semitic uh, garbage uh, early in the film and then is revealed to be one of Leon Morin's other spiritual advisees. Um and hopefully, as such, softens uh, and does sort of soften between that and she becomes more friends, uh, more friendly with Barney uh, because of their shared uh, shared religious experience, I suppose. Um, for a movie called Leon Morin Priest, where the bulk of it, or at least a good chunk of it, is theological discussion, I guess. Yeah, I think the I guess uh, is very, very important in this. Yeah. I, I Even for, you know, like, I come at this from a, the opposite direction that you do, but it is so yeah. trite and, like, childish right. on that level. Right. Yeah. Now, it's, it's almost borderline offensive to me that she is turned yeah. from the, from the, from the oh, true yeah. path by that hot shit, that, that big pile <laughs> yeah. of hot. Like, it is the most rote, like... Ah uh, yes, I I picked this up in a book called a book I got at seminary called A Hundred and One Ways to Convince an Atheist." Uh, yeah, essentially, yeah. No, it's really bad. Uh, yeah, um, 
I don't need every movie that deals with religious criticism to be, uh, I don't know, the Milky Way or right, uh, yeah. any other Bunel or, work. Or, or even um, alternatively, even a Bergman film that's like going to like yeah, fucking yeah. just drill that hole very, very deep into the yeah. earth, right? Right, right, right. Um, yeah, either either the super sad version or the, the super weird esoteric version. Right, right. Uh, they're both great, and I don't I don't need everything to be that. Um, but uh, but this movie is not not overtly a religious work, and maybe that is because uh, Melville himself is of Jewish descent and is an atheist, um, and is you know. Thinking about different things as we approach, right? As we approach I, I, but I do think and, that much like the single, the, the single dimensional characters that we talked about before, I I feel like it does betray him in, to a certain extent because any even like even for me, and again I come at this from a pretty opposite direction from a lot of people, but like, yeah, it is it feels shallow, and so as an yeah. audience member, you you have to sort of contend with the fact that like, and now now mind you. That does, to a certain extent, make what happens feel more like it's happening because of excuses rather than true argumentation, which could be yeah. you can also, from that perspective, consider it valuable, right? That like these aren't yeah. really deep, good philosophical conversations. She's looking for an excuse to go back into the church uh, right. and to sort of have her her faith sort of reaffirmed or whatever, and and also to hang out with him. Like so, it's you know, yeah. like even uh, even. My Night at Mods, which was my favorite of the Romero films we watched, but mostly we didn't like those Romero right. films. Uh, even My Night at Mods, whose entire philosophical discussion was based around Pascal's wager, felt like a deeper religious conversation it, than, well, than anything we get in absolutely. this Absolutely. If nothing else, because it digs into that. Like, whatever yeah. you think of Pascal's wager, which... I mean, we all have opinions. It's about dumb. It. it is, but yeah, it it is. I we both agree again from opposite directions. Uh, <laughs> yes, it it is nonetheless at least a philosophy that you can dig into. This one just spouts random snippets of sort of religious philosophy, right? Sort of, yeah. The almost at random feeling, seemingly. Yeah, theologically, what it boils down to for me in this movie is that. Uh, her criticisms of organized religion, of organized Catholicism specifically, are valid but not really well thought out. No, the they they are also sort of boilerplate, right? They're they are the same. Yeah, they are the same sort of thing. It's like, well, if you asked a like, what, they are what they are the sorts of shit that came out from militant atheists in, like, the early 2000s, right? Like, early to mid-2000s, yeah, yeah, right? It's yeah. like, I read yeah. a bunch of stuff, and I've got these boilerplate arguments that I'm just going to trot out, and they don't she, they don't re- require a lot of deep thought. Yeah. She thinks she's going to uh, walk into a church and yell, religion is the opiate of the masses, and someone's going to get mad at her, and she's going to feel good about making someone mad. Uh, well, what, and interestingly then that enough, doesn't get mad at her, right? Well, interestingly <laughs> enough, later on, she sort of admits that it was more of a sort of an excuse, right? Like, yeah, she needed to sort of she yeah. needs a, she and I, and I think that's a legitimate. That's the more dealing with what more about what the movie is actually about is yeah, the fact that yeah. she's essentially needs an excuse to get back into religion, uh, right? 
right, and, right. and 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 yeah. and that is a the a good first step is to walk into a, a church and say I challenge you to a duel, yes. church man. Yes. <laughs> um. Still not the physical duel from uh from Milky Way. But, no, I mean <laughs> again, all of those are I better versions of Way. that. But you know, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, yeah. So you know he. Moran is presented as for what he is a kinder, gentler Catholicism, which is something that certainly exists in sixty one and certainly existed in forty five. Uh, but he's not a good example of that sort of thing either. Well, because he's his doesn't seem Catholic to be worker. terribly philosophically not, rooted either, right? Right. Like, right. His, his is rooted in a sort of bland liberalism right? more than in any ideological. Um, and certainly that bland, bland liberal Christianity is something that uh, it, you grew up in. Yeah, instance, absolutely. And, and the thing about it, though, is that what I would say is that to me, I find for me personally that this bland liberal Christianism, Christianity, Christianism, Christianity feels out of place in this time and place. Yeah. In that, like, to um, me, I've always sort of, and this is this is my bias, but I have always sort of understood that as a product of, of the post-war years, of the fact that, like, there were, like, sort of space was made for that to exist as a way for Christianity to participate in the restructuring of capitalism, the restructuring of society around sort of more sort of neoliberal, like hegemonic views that would allow uh, sort of the sort of a broad base spread of, uh, of, of capitalism sort of across sort of a blanket over the earth. Right. Yeah. Um, and and um, to me, like Christianity goes hand in hand with that in, in a way that like this feels out of place in the middle of a war, in the middle of an I occupation. Think, I think you are Right about the motives uh, of it being a way for Christianity to participate in that reworking of cap- capitalism, uh, you are wrong on the timeline. Though. I know. I, uh, I understand that it did happen yeah. significantly before. It's yeah. just to me, like, it is hard. And I, maybe this is just this again, like I said, it's more of a bias well, thing than anything. It yeah. feels out of place in a time where, like, it's hyper liberalism, as we know, doesn't do well under high stress. Like high, right, right, high intensity right. situations. Like this kind of attitude tends to fall apart in those scenarios because, like, being a, a sensible moderate in the Nazi occupation of of of, of Paris seems out of place. Right. Seems right. like one of those. Um, it seems like one of those. Which side are you on? Sort of moments where you're going to have to make a call, uh, and he doesn't yeah. seem to want to in many ways. Yeah. So, so the Catholic worker movement, even even just boiling it down to the Catholic worker uh, Catholic worker movement, starts in the 30s, and it is a response to cap- uh, the failings of capitalism, but the failings of capitalism of the uh, post World War One into the right uh, depression. Um, but I think you're you're right. What you're saying about uh, it not feeling right in this time and place makes me think of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And Bonhoeffer is uh, is a German theologian who's in Germany in the 30s. Okay. Um, 
and Bonhoeffer is one of the one of the predominant voices um in the 20th century i mean he's eventually killed by the nazis he right. put to death in a concentration camp um but he's a predominant voice for christian nonviolence in the 20th century uh, and he's he's very influential in that way um and as as someone within the country nonviolence movement who uh I suppose allowed himself to be put to death. He didn't run, right? He right. he stayed in Germany to uh try to work things out. But Bonhoeffer also at least his brother and possibly him too were part of that very famous uh, res- German resistance operation to blow up Hitler in, right. with a well, with a suitcase bomb. Exactly. See, uh, so, so like, and like again in this movie, it, we get it. We're in a weird place, right? Because we don't know that's what he is exactly. He's just the face of right. the kinder, gentler Catholicism, right? Yeah. But like, you just right. get this sort of wishy washiness from him that feels like, oh, yeah. you're not, and he's anything. He is. He is putting himself more on the line than that wishy-washy liberalism might right. normally that, yes. bring. Right? That is true. Uh, he has he has uh, aided and been bedded uh, Jewish people in hiding. Right. right. Uh, he has let let people sleep in his house. He has provided uh, material uh, help to people um, off screen always. <laughs> Right, but, but it has happened, um, and whatever his motive might be for his interaction with uh, with Barney, our main character, um, and that's a whole different thing to dig into, because uh, it's not just bring her back to the church. Um, he also encourages her to do better on that end of life in right. occupied France, right? Uh, and gets her to uh, help people who are fleeing and facing... Well, in many ways, he, um, he just sort of helps to um, sort of encourage her to actually, like, do the things she wants to do, right? Like, And that's much of what is happening throughout the movie, right? Is like, when she comes to him, she's looking for him in many ways to give her permission to, like do the thing she wants to do, which is to like take care of this fan, you know, take care of her friend's family and that sort of stuff. Um, and, and sort of he were as a sort of, and, and in that way, like we get into the sort of one of the central conflicts of the movie is that his goal, he seems to be really in many ways, like looking at it and say at, at her and, and sort of, again, encouraging her to like just embrace the things she wants to do anyway, which is like, for example, become, a part of the church is, but then that moves towards like, there's things that she wants to do that he doesn't want her to do. But then again, his relationship with her is, is very clearly, we're getting kind of deeper into it, but like it's very clearly he has a sexual relationship with her. It's just not physical, right? Like he, the way he interacts with her, there's sort of tit a tat sort of thing going on is, is deeply reminiscent of sort of like, you know, romantic relationships, right? Um, so, I don't know. It's, it's, yeah. I don't know. I just, you're right to say that, like, his character is, does do 
he is doing a lot of things that are deeper than what you say. It's just sort of like in that way, their conversations don't match right. the sort of the no. back room version Absolutely. of the character that we're like not really allowed to see. And they feel weird. Right. As, as a result, the character feels, to me, feels strange. I, I agree. Um, now, of course, the character at its heart is supposed to, supposed to feel strange mm. because he's the hot priest, right? Right, yes. He's, he's supposed to make us all hot under the collar and uncomfortable. He's, he's, uh, he's Jean-Paul Belmont, though. He's he's beautiful. He's one of the most rugged. I mean, the Melville's description day. of him is 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 hilarious in many ways, right? It is yes. it, oh yeah, you know, like he goes through these adjectives describing him. And it's very um, yeah. That little me. that little bonus feature that's an interview with with Belamondo and Melville, where where Melville is talking about why he chose Belamondo. <laughs> it's basically just a description of how beautiful. He yeah, is. he's like it's this dude's good. fucking hot. Okay. <laughs> Um, yeah. yeah, like the funny thing about it is, is that like I I find that interview very telling, and the whole setup of the movie very telling, because bearing in mind Barney's the main character of this movie, but yeah. the movie is obsessed with Leon Morin the the priest, and I understand that's because she is she is becoming so too, um, yeah, but like it feels. That part also feels very strange to me because like, it doesn't feel strange in the sense that like that's exactly what I expected from French cinema, uh, but like at the same time, it's like it, there seems to be you can kind of feel that the that Melville cared the most about who's cast for Leo Morin, Belamondo. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. It, and, and it's because like, he's the one in the interviews. The movie clearly right. is focused on him, and I understand that is par for the story. And they they changed the title of the book to make it a a movie. Oh, is that it is, is it to have a different Leon title at the beginning? Yeah, the book is called The Passionate Heart. Yeah, um, and which makes more which makes, well because no, it's published in that's not true. That's not necessarily true. It's published in English as The Passionate Heart. I believe the original French publication title was Leon Morin Pitret. So. Yeah, Fred, Leon uh, Morin. But yeah, okay. so it would have been. Yeah. Well, but again, which which, but the problem is, is that I have I have to assume, given the nature of the book and every like where the book is coming from and everything like that, is I I'm forced to assume that the book is, while probably very much obsessed with that character, he is an object of of desire, a thing viewed and looked at and like right right. Whereas right. this movie flips that. Because even though he's not the main character, the movie itself becomes sort of obsessed with him in a way that feels yeah. out of step think, with like we get more characterization in many ways of him. We get almost more characterization of him than we do of our main character uh, yeah. in many ways. Uh, I think I think that if I picked up a book in 1952 uh, in English called The Passionate Heart that I knew to be about. Uh, some some sort of uh, liberal Catholicism. I would think it would be something. I could see a book about Dorothy Day being called the Passionate Heart. I could see a book about Bonhoeffer being called the Passionate Heart. Uh, this guy's not that. Uh, in, well, my my <laughs> assumption so is ways. my assumption right. is the Passionate Heart in this situation is more going is, to me. It feels more Barney's like it's going yes. for 
But it's also, yeah, it's her heart, and it's more going for um, there should be Fabio on the cover than anything else. Of course, of course, uh, yes, yes, yes. And it's being, so, it's you know. being marketed as a, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's feel, right. it sounds like a romance right. novel. It sounds like the sort of thing that gets a lot of people real hot under the collar because it's like, well, this is forbidden yeah. romance, right? She's falling right. in love with this priest slowly, and she doesn't know what to do about it. He's he should be dissuade like actively dissuading her along the all along the way, but he's not. He's allowing it to build up so that eventually she tries to make a move, which is a very much a power play on his part to like make her yeah. do that reaching out so that he can pull back. It's very it's very shitty behavior actually the movie doesn't do a great job of conveying it but when you kind of yeah. subtextually look at the subtext of it i have no doubt the movie's like, the book is like that because the book has the room for subtlety to be yeah. like ah, uh, yeah, yeah like he's sort of leading her on so that he can pull back yeah i think we talk a lot about the way he interacts with the women of the village and how it is manipulative um and I don't know that it's necessarily we don't explore too much of his psychology to know why he's doing that necessarily. I think there is a reading to say that he's being manipulative just to entice these bored horny women whose men are all away right uh into the church period um I think there could be a reading that he gets some amount of gratification out of uh, leading them on. Um, I think there's also maybe a more subtle reading and maybe not completely disassociated from the other two that he might be the sort of person who believes he needs to be tempted. Yeah, no, to, totally. Yeah, sort of an act of uh, contrition or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, could, I could believe that surrounding too. himself with these things. Yeah. Because because that that active uh, that active self denial or that act that active act of denial of of his uh, his self um, makes him feel like his vows are worth it. Well, and then also you can kind of even t- there's another step vows. that you can go with that, which is one one who is in that position could received a pretty significant ego boost not just not instead from like being wanted but from the idea that he's strong enough to resist it like right, they're sort of like right. i am i i am yeah. you're you're sort of what? like self-congratulating yourself you're self-congratulating the whole time to a certain extent of like no be, go- be gone as, satan i i i i you know i, I resist someone, you whatever to that effect yeah. right Right. He says he's he's been in religious education since the age of 12. Uh, he might be in a position where in being raised since the age of 12, he has never experienced the world enough to feel like to feel like he's actually sworn anything off in taking his vows. Right. 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 Uh, because he's 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 disavowing a world that he never knew. Right. And and you also uh, kind so, of in the, in the flip side of that also being that like doing things like leading these women on and stuff fits into sort of a category of a sort of weird sort of antisocial behavior that one might develop if, for example, one never went through yeah. the normal stages of maturity, right? Like, one, he right, never right. he never no, comes to understand even how those things work, right? Like, he's right. only ever basically come to understand them through, like, 
confessions and stuff, right? And like books that talk sort right. of tangentially about them, but with regards to how they're bad. Um, right. If he than, went from if he went if he went as he says from an abusive home life to uh, seminary education directly at the age of twelve. Um, yeah, he's 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 got a built-in antisocial behavior that he can't really overcome. Right, exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, and and because he one, just doesn't have the life experience. Yeah, so one really does find yourself in a position where it's like, I it does the movie the movie in a weird sort of like ass backwards way becomes a a, signif- a very serious condemnation of the idea of like that sort of action on the part of like the church oh, yeah. and stuff like you should not be taking 12 oh, yeah. in. like people need to like get a little fucked up before they before they go and join seminary okay uh that's uh there's a quote from augustine uh saint augustine uh is uh, uh essentially uh, a prayer of make me a better person but not yet um, <laughs> from confessions uh about uh you know living this life of debauchery or whatever uh, and recognizing that it's bad, but also not wanting to leave it yet is right. very funny. But uh, uh, there's also, uh, this reminds me of a conversation I had with a priest once uh, where I was I was serving him lunch, and he uh, was an Episcopal priest, and he, uh, he said uh, he wanted a bacon cheeseburger. Uh, and and as he ordered it, he had thought about it for a second, or or appeared to think about it for a second. And as he ordered, it, he said, "As as Martin Luther said, uh, if you sin, sin boldly." Uh, and I I reminded him of Augustine's words of, "Lord, make me make me better, but not yet." And we both laughed about it. And then he called me professor every time he saw me for the next uh, <laughs> two years. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, we had some fun theological discussions between the two of us uh he was an interesting guy but but you didn't anyway, fall in love right like that's that i did not fall right? in love with him yeah um that's unfortunate he, he was not he was not belmondo uh belmondo hot he didn't have that rugged rugged hands and he's uh, you can tell he's from the country yeah. he's of he's of he's of yes, low birth it's a very peasant face this guy very, did not very, have a peasant very, face very um, that's very hot as we all know yeah, uh, everybody loves a peasant face. Uh, but yeah, yeah. So, you know, I think there's there's not enough about Leon Morin Priest for us to really understand what his motivations are necessarily. Uh, and there are certainly worse ways that Leon Morin, that kinder, gentler, liberal Christianity has been used to undermine uh, liberation as well, right? Right. Uh, has been used as an opiate in its own way. Uh, obviously, the theocratic, more reactionary Christianity has been used <laughs> in that way for centuries. I mean, like he but... he try he she because she whips out like is the opiate of the masses as a kind of just yeah un sort of uncritical sort of just random sort of statement. He also fires back with a sort of uncritical random statement, and it's sort of dismissed. Never mind the fact that the that the arguments for that are are, are sound and yeah. well well reasoned and, and actually properly yeah. argued in said text right. from which they came. But never mind about that. Like that's not um, yeah. You know. Now, 
Now, he does... We are still early, even in 61, when this movie is made. We are still early enough that, in France especially, um, what would become known as liberation theology uh, is really only getting its start right. post-war and into the 60s. Um, and particularly Catholic forms of liberation theology growing out of uh, Latin America... Um, are still at least ten years away. Right. Yes. Yeah. There's. Um, there's certainly. And there's certainly not. Yeah. They're. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's. And that's where we see a real theological critique of Catholicism having been used as an opiate and what it would mean to reverse that course. Right. Uh, and use and use Catholicism in a way that uh, is liberatory. Uh, but is also uh, easily condemned as indistinguishable from secular communism, right? By right. The, well, yeah. by the entire establishment, including the more liberal priests of the world, right? Yeah, I mean, um, Le- let's be clear like here: Leon Moore. Leon Moore and Priest in about ten years is going to be a useless piece of shit. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. may or may not already be, but by in in ten years' time, he is going to be actively denouncing like communists in his yeah. in his midst or whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I don't know. It's the movie. So like the, that's the thing, right? It's like, we don't, we're meant to, the movie I think comes into conflict with itself because we get more, we're meant to get more characterization of Barney than we are of Leon Morin. Uh, and we spend more time with her, but the movie's so obsessed with him that like we, it, it does feel like she gets sold short despite the fact that we spend more time with her. And yeah. I, I, I mean, we do get more from her, but I don't know. It's I found it, um, I, and I think part of this might have to do with the way the movie's cut as well. There's a lot of very yeah. sharp editing cuts where you're like, where you just sort of jump from time and place to a different time and place. And and, right. and to a certain extent, you're having trouble, or at least you. I say I say that talking about myself because I'm talking about myself in the yes. second person for some fucking stupid reason. Um, yeah. But like, I find myself having a hard time necessarily nailing down exactly where she is at at any given time. And even like we get to the end of the movie and I, and and by the time we get to the very, very, very end of the movie, I have a decent grip on her as a person. But throughout most of the movie, I found myself going, I don't know what, where she is or like exactly what, she thinks is happening what what like her sort of feelings are again she's she wants to be persuaded right like she walks in there sort of looking to right. be persuaded that is one of her goals she doesn't pick him because he's handsome and attractive i assume that's why she keep that is generally can be understood that that's why she keeps coming uh but she is right. looking for somebody to persuade her to become religious again when she walks into the yeah. church, right? Like that is what she's looking I, for anyway. So it's, there's an argument to be made that even if he weren't handsome, she might still continue yeah. to do this thing as long as he was willing to like do that work. Right. And what, uh, what he presents to her is still intellectually attractive, even if he weren't physically attractive. Right. Right. Necessarily. Right. Well, and so in one way or another, I really, you know, to a certain extent, I'm really curious about the book because I wonder if, if again, to a certain extent, our 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 director here is sort of shooting himself in the foot by picking somebody who's just straight up actually too handsome. 
<laughs> like yeah. in all seriousness, like where he he might be like making things harder for us because you know, he he is legitimately attractive. Uh I mean the book the sort of this plot synopsis says the but the priest is Leon Morin, who is young, handsome, clever, and altruistic. I yeah. don't know. It 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 does sort of you know, obviously that must be a key factor of the book, but like, you know, you wonder if maybe we need to tone it down one or two steps, right? So that like our audience doesn't read it as like sweep her off her feet like handsome. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, yeah, and well, I mean, also given given the everyday lives of the women of this village, he doesn't actually need to be as well. That's kind of the point I'm trying to make. Is, is as long as he's like, to, yeah. as long as he's like not like too bad looking, he's a. Yeah. He's a man who exists in their life who's not a Nazi who will engage yeah. them in like meaningful conversation straight up. Like that's a lot. And, that's a lot to offer to a person. Right. In a situation like and this. And honestly, despite how, you know, Bar- Barney does actually fall in love with him and w- would like to pursue a relationship with him. But to Barney's actually, uh, Barney's also in a unique position because her husband has died. Right. Prior to the the uh, narrative we're seeing, um, as far as like <laughs> as as far as sort of like church marketing goes, <laughs> Leo Morin being put into this village uh, as a person that all of these women can put their sexual frustration onto, uh, and at least focus it in a way. Um, so that they aren't off, uh, shagging German soldiers, for instance. Right, right. Um, while all of their husbands are away. Um, and he is someone who is unavailable, right? He is, uh, he has taken those vows. He is. Right. Although, um, I mean, in some ways, right, you have to assume, like, if the, if the church were trying to do that actively, you're taking a pretty yeah. big leap of faith that this guy's you are actually taking going a, to like yes. keep his vows. <laughs> yes. Um, yes, which has which has not been historically true within the Catholic. Church. Right, exactly. <laughs> it seems like maybe an ill-advised uh, uh, choice. Yeah. Uh, what I will say though is that I, I'm also, fa- but I am fascinated by Barney too because you even as we kind of because we watch Barney go through a series of infatuations. Um, yeah. And 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 she refocuses in many ways, sort of, but doesn't quite let go of the previous infatuations. And like you kind of wonder, I think, is Barney actually in love with Morin, or is Barney just sort of desperately lonely? Right? Like even as we get to the end, I, yes. she's gotten those conversations. We we kind of like come to this sort of like I come to this sort of like point in the movie, especially as we get to the end. It's like, well, she's like she's not like in love with him. He's just. He is yeah. in the end. She is the same he's as all there. the rest of them, which is like he's just yeah. somebody to dump those feelings into that kind of yeah. to a certain extent has to take them. And then he certainly Absolutely. encourages that behavior. He doesn't discourage it, encourages right. it, right? Right. Right. Yeah. Um I think it's also true of Barney though we see it in her love life with the infatuation she has, but I also she thinks she approaches intellectual infatuations in the same way as we see her approach uh 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 sexual infatuations 
romantic infatuations. Um, her her relationship to her proclaimed communism uh, is pretty shallow too. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and you know, I've I have known plenty of people uh, across um, across the spectrum of gender who whose approach to uh, philosophy and theology have been to pursue whatever the person they are in love with. Has, yeah, totally. Has well, and you do wonder, lives. right? Like right. we do know that her husband was Jewish. Yeah. And we do know, like we kind of, and presumably communist and presumably, and you kind of start to get the impression, the right? You start to get the impression from the movie. The movie doesn't straight up come out and tell you this, but you get the impression that like, Oh, she might just be all of these things because that is what her husband was. And she sort of yeah. molded herself to a certain extent to match the shape of, of that relationship, right? Um, right. And, and, and yeah, no, and I, now, for sure. Yeah. Now that that's gone, she's sort of uh, rudderless, right? She's just, and that to a certain extent right. seems like it's part of what leads her into the church in the first place. Is she kind of like yeah. shifts back to like a remembered version of herself that existed prior to meeting her husband, prior to like getting involved with that sort of stuff. Where she's saying, like, okay, well, I used to go to church. Yeah. I am Catholic. Maybe this is the who the he, me that I can be again. I can be this me instead right. now. Um, and then to and a then, certain extent, she remolds herself in the image that Morin wants her to be. Right. Morin right? becomes the new cast. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I think that's, that's very true. Um, and, you know, we're dealing... I find uh, her relationship with Sabine to be very interesting in how how the movie handles it. Mm. Um, because there is there is a line of Morin toward uh, toward the end of the movie after she's declared his love uh, her love for him, uh, where he he says, "Well, now." <laughs> Well, at least it's not a woman this time, is essentially what he says, right? right? Um, so there is, there is from, from the Catholic Church side of, of this film, uh, there is that comment and condemnation of uh, lesbianism. And Barney is in deep denial in the first few, <laughs> half of the movie about her relationship to Sabine and what her actual feelings were for Sabine are. And maybe that's true to life too, um, or broader, I guess, true too, in that you're right to say her infatuations aren't, aren't even necessarily things she would pursue. <laughs> right. Just, although I they're, would, they're I would all infatuations s- of opportunity. Right. Although I would ways. say that so. if you watch a sort of pattern with her relationship with the other women, she, yeah. I, I actually do wonder if, if to a certain extent the movie telegraphs that like this is more closer to her true self than like any of the things we see I think her that's doing fair. like she becomes infatuated with Sabine sort of without the molding in many ways right like she doesn't interact with yeah. Sabine in a way where Sabine's giving her shape right it's right. just another person that she takes glances at across the room right and you're like oh this is somebody you might be legitimately more actually truly infatuated with Right, like, right. and right. then the way we see her interact with some of her other friends, 
especially as she becomes friends with um I forget the name of the character the the um oh shoot you you talked about it earlier and I've already Christine yes with yeah, Christine Christine is her name there's there's a certain sort of sexual tension to their relationship it's it's very but they kind of like yeah it's not very heavy but it, it, it there's a certain sort of like they kind of are razzing each other in a way that feels yeah. flirtatious. Um, I mean, there's also, if we dig too deep, there is perhaps this, uh, uh, it's French. Who knows where we could go with this? But there is that sort of, I guess, traditional view of uh, homosexuality in wartime. Of, uh, uh, well, yeah, I mean, there's know. always that as a sort of a risk uh, yeah. that, they, that they would where, like, make that argument. Uh, we do yeah, have to bear in mind be. that we are dealing with a a dude making this movie, like as a big part of yeah. We before we, you know, but but if it is textual to the book, right? You start getting, you might be dealing with like the idea that like you know, at the very least, you're somebody dealing with somebody who's bi or something like that who is legitimately yeah. infatuated yeah. with like the at least with because like right. Sabine especially seems like it's like glances across the room. That's what you do. That's much more of a. Sabine, I would argue that's much more of a natural state of being than a lot of what we see her engage with otherwise. That, yeah, like that's Sabine what is, you do when you're infatuated with somebody from a distance, right. right? Sabine, until other things overtake Sabine's psyche, Sabine is actively flirting with her as well. Absolutely, right? and that's <laughs> so, that's what I'm saying is they're yeah. both engaged in this thing, but like it doesn't feel the same. It doesn't feel like the same as the other ones in the sense that they're like nobody's theoretically molding her into the shape right and you're really sort of in many ways running up against her sort of in her inhibitions that like prevent her from you know because whenever yeah. she's presented a friend of hers presents her with that possibility and she's sort of like has that has a very classical reaction to how you know whoa you're implying that i'm a lesbian kind of thing right like her yeah. reaction to the, the, when they were sitting around the kitchen table to that is is very stereotypical right it's very like whoa i mean of course not that's i would never you know like kind of thing right uh that you get in societies that have roundly condemned this course of action you people will live in denial about that for a very long time right uh, right and like Absolutely. again that's sort of the only whereas for example leon morin is leon is more is is also um uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Is also forbidden. Uh, uh-huh. But he's forbidden in a way that is sort of it's acceptable for her to be infatuated with him as long as she doesn't yeah. act, and certainly as long as he doesn't act. Right? Like nobody's breaking. Right. Nobody. Nobody's getting hurt as long as nobody acts on it. Right? It's acceptable for her to be attracted to him on a sort of social level, really. Whereas it's not even acceptable for her to be, not truly even acceptable for her to be attracted to Sabine as far as sort of society is right. concerned. Like, you can make excuses like, oh, wartime or some shit like that. People do make excuses, but like, you know, that's also kind of yeah. nonsense. But that's obviously just nonsense, right? Like, and everybody knows it. Right. On, a, right. on a core level, everybody understands that you're just making excuses at this point, right? Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, hmm. I also. I wonder, yeah, given that so much of Morin's relationship to the church itself is left as subtextual at best or to our own assumptions, um, I wonder if the ending of him being sent out into the provinces to work a circuit 
uh, is meant to imply that he is either actively being punished by the church uh, for his relationships with these women, or if he is inducing a uh, self-exile. I, that was kind of realized. my read on it personally. Like, yeah, is that maybe he's also reached his breaking point with regards to this sort of like interaction, um, yeah, or something like that. Um, I mean, I, I, I find it hard to believe that the Catholic Church is capable of making those kind of semi-rational decisions, but uh, uh, just well, based on the things we've seen, <laughs> well, uh, times yeah. of post-war at this point, right? We are post-war, right, 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 right. We're now, we're now fully into. Yeah, a very different era already. But like, yeah, no, I, yes. I don't know. It's or, or maybe, maybe he's running because the men are returning. He knows it's what also he's been possible, doing right? Is it like years. it's recognized that he's essentially the men are? Well, it, it's actually quite. I will argue that it is probably possible for the for the Catholic Church to make that rational decision, which is like right, right. Not so much that like he's a danger by being around, like flirting with all these women all the time, but that like. The men who are returning are going to have a very specific image of a priest they expect. And it's going to be right. a half-bald old man. Yeah. And they're not going to be satisfied when they see this guy leading their church services, right? Leading their masses, right? right? So what? Right, right. you move him out to the countryside, you make him do the rounds among the country churches for enough years until he looks like that, and then he can be brought into the city and be the, the priest at a, a big church because... You know, he now looks like a a bald old man that they will that all the men in the church will accept as a spiritual leader, right? Because they're not they're right, not right, right. they're not there's fundamentally a concern, obviously, with the, within the Catholic Church or something like that. That like, well, like, will somebody want to take communion from somebody who's solidly ten years younger than them? Will they want to? Will they want to be spiritually advised by what is a, what somebody that could theoretically be their child? Right? right. Like that's a weird position that like I think many times probably the church just doesn't want to deal with. It's like easier to just fucking shuffle the deck <laughs> and like get him out of the middle of nowhere where he can do things like fucking last rites on farmers who are in the middle of nowhere and shit like that. And like right. fucking right. bless cows or whatever. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Only on St. Francis Day. Um, yeah, I, I don't know that I want this movie to be 45 minutes longer. Um, but (laughs) I think that, I think that Melville retains enough little episodes of other people's lives, uh, that I maybe need more context on some of them. Right. I agree. Um, like, like Balm- Barney's daughter, France, and her relationship with this German soldier who gives her the bracelet and then says right. he's off to the off to the Eastern Front uh, to die. Um, and she's obviously friends with him uh, in as much as an eight-year-old can be friends with an adult man. Um, but, you know, he's... He's seen her at the old lady's house, and I don't think there's anything nefarious in that relationship. It can certainly. it can feel a little nefarious, um, mainly because I read I, because yeah. of my own cultural bias that reads uh, two friendly Germans as scary, 
Um, <laughs> that's that's fair. That's fair. Uh, um, but like, but I think it's. I think we're probably more um, meant to re- like read it as like he has a daughter back home or something, and he's right, he, right, he's, right. Yeah, yeah. He's formed that's... a sort of emotional attachment, sort of uh, sort of right. abstention or something With... like that. With more context, we wouldn't have to. <laughs> yeah, we be, wouldn't have to. Be assuming. Uh, uh, and look or worry it about briefly. it feeling yeah. creepy. Yeah. The young woman who Barney is on the bike rides with, who, uh, who is, is it turns out, a uh, an informant to the Gestapo, and the resistance uh, shoots her, and we, uh, we get Barney's brief... It's a really... Honestly, it is an interesting conversation with Morin. In that I would, I would Barney. have preferred the movie to be just that. If I'm yeah. being brutally yeah. honest, right? That is the most yes. interesting part of the movie is her yeah. coming. The movie, for a very brief time, coming to grips with how Christianity and Catholicism deal with the fact that, like, that person is a traitor to their country. You know what I mean? Like, and yeah. how and how it's supposed to interact with those things. That's a deeply fascinating topic right. that could be explored sort of and, ad nauseum. And instead, it's more of an yeah. aside uh, and, than anything else. And the aspects that Morin doesn't even necessarily get into outright, where this young woman is actively getting people killed already. Right, right, absolutely. Right? Yeah, and, By yeah, sharing no, it's, information. It's absolutely. And, like, he just sort of says, like, well, you should just let it go. Just It's not your business. It's not yeah. your problem. There's a different version of this movie where we find out that he's a major player in the resistance or something like that, where he's right, aware right, of yeah. these things happening. Because we've seen movies, or at least I've seen movies where that's the case, right? Like, have we seen right. it? Did we watch at least one movie about the French resistance where it involved a priest in this? I or, cannot or, recall. I, I've definitely seen a movie about the French resistance that involved a priest. I just don't know if it was with you for yeah. this podcast or not. Because um, um, I, you know, that that's a thing. That's just straight up a thing, right? Right. Uh, right. Historically I, and in um, film. Malay's um, Au Revoir L'Enfance isn't necessarily about the resistance, but is about a Catholic priest who uh, harbors three young Jewish boys right, at, right, at the boys' school. So, so that that gets adjacent to what we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, I'm right? trying but to think, like, um, does... does yeah. Did sh- where was it the sh- the other Melville film? Uh, the other Melville film. Uh, yeah. Uh, what's it's like his like masterpiece. The, the yeah yeah. Port does of it, Shadows. Does Army of Shadows have that in it, or maybe I'm or Army of, of Shadows, not Port of Shadows, but yeah. Uh, I can't remember, but maybe it was. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm losing. I've definitely seen movies where that's the case. Is my point. Right. Um, right. Yeah, I can't think of it. Think of whether or not it does either. Um. Yeah, but but yes, certainly you're right to. To say that this has been an occurrence to to encounter historically and within film and, and film likes seen. to bring it up because it's like one of those points of pride among French yeah. Catholic priests in many ways, right? That like right, 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 right. so many of them were you know active participants and secretly of part of the resistance, yeah, and like actively sort of like working against uh, the Nazis in some capacity or another, right? But like, right. Um, yeah, no, it's it's. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it's no, just that, that is, the movie gives us these little that is, tidbits that feel so they they would be right. such delicious morsels to actually like spend time on. <laughs> yeah, not only would I love to know more about that young woman, uh, that is the only the only conversation that Morin and Barney have that feels like it has weight. Yes, absolutely. Well, uh, and that's what I'm talking about. Is that because the world yeah. outside doesn't seem to impinge on them at all? 
They yeah. don't ever feel it feels like and that's I think that's a fundamental like I know this movie is really well regarded. I understand that. But it never it feels so low stakes. You've surrounded yeah. this relationship with the war right. and the occupation and they and barely ever touch their lives in really any meaningful way in the film. Yeah, directly, right? We see background stuff. Like oh, yeah. Sabine, Sabine severely deteriorates. We see in in reflection in a shop window, we see the deportation start after the Germans show up, right? Right. Um, we get we get a very dramatic, uh, you know, when the Germans show up and we go from the comically inept Italians that no one cares about and everyone's going about their daily lives with no problem while the Italians are occupying them. Uh, and they're actively making fun of the Italians. And then one night, uh, Barney lies awake, and we hear tanks rolling in and jackboots right. on the cobblestone. And the next day, no one's on the street, right? right? Uh, we see dramatic changes in the town in the background. But Barney doesn't really get directly affected by them right it doesn't seem to actually generally feels... affect her life there's no tension where she fe- where it feels like she's in danger right and i think that's right. sort of core to this is that like to a certain extent maybe the movie is arguing in its own way that like her and her kind of you know people like her are not really at risk from this yeah, this maybe. organization from these people and that, like, the only reason they would be at risk is when they do actively w- work to help people who are at risk. But the movie's yeah. really, the movie's not doing a good job of making that argument either, right? Because she's not right. actively right. Well, even, pursuing the helping of other people who are at risk, right? And, and well, I mean, she does with that one family, right. but well, even and, when she does. And, and, that's, and that's one of the, the few moments of legitimate tension in the film, right? Yeah. When that happened, that yeah. one section, you're like, this is real. She's in this place and she's she's trying to help and that is dangerous. She's doing it right. despite it being dangerous. But then that's yeah. gone and and it all becomes very frivolous again in many ways, right? It's all yeah. well, poorly it's, choreographed religious conversations. The frivolity is also there in that while she is nervous that she will face problems in getting their uh getting their meal cards for instance. She does not face any problems. No, and right. In fact, the the person the person in charge of stamping the books just stamps the books and hands them back and never even says a word to her. Uh, like, um, you know, and, and in that and, way, and, right? And, like, to a certain extent, it feels like Melville is kind of doing himself a disservice in the sense that, like, he's undermining in many ways the idea that like life was very, very dangerous for people who tried to help. Yeah. You know, Jewish think, people or anybody who is was a a yeah. you know dis, you know was sort of a target of the Germans helping them was a legitimately extremely dangerous thing to do. Yeah, and maybe Melville maybe doesn't make that problem. argument. Maybe in '61, Melville doesn't feel like he needs to remind people. Oh, I'm sure of what to it was a like. Extent, right, like right. all nearly everybody in his audience was alive for it. Right, right. And I understand so all, that, but. All of the tension that should be there in those scenes would be there for the audience that lived through them, right? Yeah, although, like, but, but at the same time, her sort of oftentimes ever-present smiling face that doesn't feel like it's a forced yeah. smile sort of belies that and causes trouble, right? Even, I think, the French audience—and, of course, this is pure speculation— 
But I think even yeah. a French audience, 1960s, is going to look at him like, why is she smile? Why does she seem so happy? Oftentimes, and yeah, it's from her conversations with this man, but like nonetheless, it feels like when she's away from him, she should be. That that's when she should be smiling is when she's with him talking, not the right. other times, right? Like it should it should feel like this is a painful existence, and it just it doesn't seem like it, right? Her correspondence university continues to operate essentially as per normal, right? Throughout right. Uh, throughout this, right? Like they're they, you know the Gestapo don't come in and raid it and like take away all their teaching materials or some shit and like replace them right. with like they stand German at the proof. window and crack some jokes. Yeah, uh, it's, it 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 feels like her world is an enclave that is somehow protected and isolated yeah. from this force, right? Like they don't come inside. You know, we see people depart, right? Like her um you know, her coworker the, I think he's was he a the philosophy, philosophy professor, professor yeah. disappears. Yeah. Yeah, he like gets himself in his mustache and, and, and leaves. And yeah. And we get those moments, but even that seems somewhat lighthearted somehow. Yeah. Like he's he's buoyant about it and excited about it and like Yeah, he's got this sense of adventure that, that she comments on, right? Right. And and, uh, and, and I understand the, the light I, in his eyes. It's a yeah. reasonable it's not un it's not insane for him to be that way right like that's not like right that that's an that's an acting choice that points to a a way that a person could deal with like i'm not i can't admit that this is incredibly dangerous i'm going on an adventure like that's fine but like i don't think it's good necessarily for her to sort of reflect that backwards at him but also just again like it's people fleeing from her enclave it's not people coming into her enclave and like fucking things up right right the this little correspondence university is essentially immune people have to flee it but they don't they don't they themselves are not affected all the people who are there at the beginning bar with the exception of the philosophy professor professor are there at the end uh no one's hauled away no one's brought in for question because like i think the end of the deal is like we've you and i both through this and independently have seen enough movies that are about the occupation of France that like are much more engaged with the occupation of France where people are called in for questioning. They're harassed. They're, you know what I mean? There's, there's a sense of danger and fear. This movie just doesn't have like basically any of that. Yeah. Like even, even when she's directly threatened, um, or, or we directly interact with with um, German soldiers. We get uh, Gunther, the kind German soldier who France is in love with. Right. Um, we get the guy with glasses who yells at uh, Barney for crossing the railroad tracks, despite the sign that says don't cross the railroad tracks, even in French. Um, and then just lets her go anyway and lets right. her continue on her way. Um, there's the officer that's more like a cameo, where the little boy yeah, it's more of almost a, com- a he, comedic scene, right? Like just, yeah. just a- and he he drops the monocle out of his eye, sort of thing. Um, <laughs> I don't know that we get a shot of him physically dropping the no, monocle but it out does have eye, it does very much have, have like then. <laughs> surprise yeah. British man vibes to yes. it. Um, yes, yes. Um, you know, I uh, and. 
I think it's that same guy when he's first introduced. He's he's the uh, German walking down the streets who blows his whistle and starts the deportations with the soldiers jumping out of right. the truck. Uh, which is the only the only time there seems like there's actually a danger from the Germans is right. in that moment and and when they first show up the overnight you know right before that the the jackboots in the streets is a scary thing it is and, it is know. and and the movie has those touches it just doesn't maintain them right it doesn't it doesn't keep them going in a way that makes them feel ever present yeah. and like truly terrifying right the brief sort of glimpses, right? And I wonder if like the, that 45 minutes is just full of that stuff that may, would add a lot of atmosphere to the whole thing. It, you know, and it's somewhat telling and kind of fascinating, right, that the most, one of the scariest things she encounters, as far as the movie is concerned, is the American soldier, right? Yeah. This person yeah. is 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 dangerous and is like seemingly yeah. not going to take no for an answer is, is, is a... Right is the most menaced we feel her be in the entire movie. Right. Which I no arguments American here. Soldier, American soldiers are also very dangerous right. and menacing people and and one should right. like understand them that way. It's just fascinating that this movie that's the only scary soldier we encounter. Right. Yeah. The only one who feels like like even the guy who stops her and grabs her arm doesn't threaten her with violence. Right, right. There is violence inherent to grabbing her arm. Well, I mean, arm, he's certainly. he's a he's a guy well, grabbing her arm with a big gun that would like kill her. So there right. is there is there is yeah. menace there. And we as an audience think like, oh, this is this could escalate. We understand as an audience yeah. that that could escalate, and it does feel there's tension there. But it yeah. sort of becomes a sort of but then it's really quickly dispelled, right? That that scene right. with the American soldier is the longest sort of sustained period it of tension. It just keeps going, yeah. right? You're like, "Oh shit." And it's like not- and you don't know. You do not know that this movie will not do that thing. Right. Melville, it's, it's very possible and, he would decide to make that a part of the story. And France is there. And it's yeah. it's even more threatening that for France That makes it much there, scarier right? for, for her, yeah. for the audience, for everybody. And, like, right. you just don't know. Like, the movie, given sort of, it seems odd, it would seem like a pretty substantial tonal shift, but the movie's been sort of building up to it, right? Like, in the sense that, like, the... um. In the sense that, like, we see him escalate, so you're kind of prepared for, like, oh, this movie might be prepared to make that tonal shift. Like, it might be prepared right. to, like, tell you that, like, this is, you know, what happened, and like, and, and but oh, I'm glad he doesn't because, well, a, I pro- it's probably not in the book, but it might be that might be what happens in the book. But then it has a sort of like, you run into this very, very like dark and scary place, not just because of what that is, but also the idea that like to a certain extent there's a sort of cosmic punishment for like the the uh the sort of lust that she feels or something, you know, the sort of Yeah. Yeah uh, desire right. she feels like, that like yeah. it, that the God punishes you or like the, the universe punishes you for that by giving you quote unquote exactly what you're asking for like if you were going to be really really gross and disgusting right but that's the sort of like people write books like that is my point like those books exist people have written a lot of them and they're fucking gross but I don't know I've never read this book I wouldn't I wouldn't put it past yeah. an author to do that and so you you feel actually legitimately scared at that moment is my point is like for all those words are to say that's the only, one of the only times I was legitimately actually scared for the character. 
and nervous that like the movie was not going to pull its punches, which is Absolutely. essentially what it's yeah. done throughout the movie. And was going to make the world very, very real instead of not, instead of sort of a fantasy world that it sort of, ex- it is throughout most of the movie. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's just interesting that that's um, an American soldier at the very end of the movie that's like sort of putting a capstone on like this the story in many ways. Right. And that, you know, all <laughs> If we accept an implied threat of sexual violence from the occupation. And the occupation is a metaphorical rape of right. France anyway, right? Um, the American old boss, same as the new boss gets, uh, actively, actively shown to be part of that. Uh, and honestly, more in, more is also a kinder, gentler face on, on <laughs> a sexual violence. Right. right absolutely. It's, uh, and, and, uh, and I think know, my issue is that like, my my real issue is that like to me, and I I hate to say this because I I don't typically like movies like that anyway. The whole movie, in many ways, should feel more like that scene. Yeah, like you should feel yeah. legitimately scared because like there's some there. It is legitimately scary for her to exist in this occupation, just trying to go about her business. Right, like that's a legitimately right. scary thing that sort of only gets scary in the last whatever X minutes of the movie, right? Um, yeah. You know, and yeah, and, and, yeah. And, and, and to a certain extent, because that's the scariest scene, you lose the the you know new boss, same as the old boss, feeling. Because yeah. somehow new boss seems way scarier than old boss. Yeah. Yeah, and that's really the whole problem of the separate piece that we've been living in through the rest of the movie, is that... <laughs> I mean, even even... You know, Morin makes casual reference to the fact that his bosses don't like that he's helping the Jewish people that he's helping, right? Right. Uh, when he t- uh, when when Barney questions it, um, but we don't see any conflict between him and his bosses. Right. There are even other priests in the movie who we could have such a conflict with, and we don't see a conflict with them. Right. Uh, yeah. Um. And, you know, that might be Melville not wanting to portray the church as the oppressive force that the church so often is. Um, Or it might be Melville just in the same way that his audience is assuming, assumed to know all of the horrors that the Germans are perpetrating here. Um, He's just letting us... No, letting letting the church exist in the background in contrast to Morin, because Morin is presented as a contrast. Right. It's yeah. It's text, like well, my, my we audience don't define exactly the what the church yeah. is. Right. Like my my yeah. issue is that like you're going to run into is that like, but the other possibility about that is, is that like, well, we don't know precisely how critical, um, you know, Melville is of these institutions, right? Yeah, I mean he's Jewish. Uh, but like he has also been encultured, enculturated by this state his entire life, yeah. right? That's a hard thing to get yeah, away from, a, right? 
which is actually another smart thing uh, that I wish the movie dug into a little more that Morin says uh, when when uh, Barney is talking about Christian morality and Morin says, well, you already live in Christian morality because you live in a Christianized country, right. a Christianized society. Um, and that's that's an that's an interesting intellectual thing that I wish maybe that conversation well, I, had gone I think, on a little longer. Yeah, I mean, like, and I think maybe a different director, a different time, right? Like, yeah. you get into this sort of like, well, the the French is the French state's adamant belief that it is, uh, you know, a religious that you know that it is that is um, you right know, purely secular, but like everybody all the time constantly steeped in a very specific one very specific religion at all times by every force out theoretically outside of that right. like highly secularized um quote unquote highly secularized uh state like it's it's yeah. um it's a bullshit thing to say right it's a it's a weird plaster you put over top of things to like make yourself feel better right and like how much is melville engaged with that 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 set the set of beliefs that are that have been told to him his whole life and how much is he critical of it it's hard to like piece through in this movie, right? Like, maybe he doesn't really see the Catholic Church in that way, despite like you know not even technically being a part of it, right? Like, he is a part of it because the Catholic Church, for all intents and purposes, owns this country. Besides its morality, yeah. besides its 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 uh, sort of right. social fabric. Um, yeah. Uh, listen, if this if this movie wanted to explore Christian hegemony. I'd, I'd be more well, interested. Well, I'm always but, I'm always game for that kind of movie. It's not really the time and place. Yeah, I know, but but but, but the point is it. is that like the movie doesn't really engage with any part of Catholicism in France except for this sort of like this one sort of avatar of it that doesn't in theory even represent what the the Catholic Church at the time stands for, right? We we have to as an audience already have that contextual knowledge ourselves. Um, and yeah. even then it's only glimpses, right? Like they're not happy with him, but he's not seemingly punished for it. He's not seemingly like abused yeah. for well, it or, unless, or, or, you know? Yeah. Unless he's not being on the level and he is actively being punished for it in the, in the end when he's well, but here's the problem sent away, is by the but, time you get to that point in the story, this is when the Catholic church of France starts patting itself on the back so hard that it nearly dislocates its shoulder about how awesome they right. were during the entire occupation and how hard yeah. they like, you know, he's the kind of priest that in like 19 early 1950s becomes a hero of the catholic church and is like right. paraded around like see we all you know like you know it kind of becomes a the kind of that sort of avatar where the catholic church of of france and other places make themselves feel real right. good they're like well we look at all these good priests who works so hard to take care of like, you know, those in need. Never mind the fact that on yeah. official policy, the church was, uh, you know, a limp dish rag, right? Um, right, right, so right. Absolutely. Could could have yeah. as such a massive organization could have truly and earnestly staged a, a, a meaningful resistance to used its hegemony yeah. to accomplish something very very important, and instead allowed individual actors. To, to do work independently while being sort of condemned from the top so that they can maintain that with the idea like, well, we better we better put our chips on bread and black just in case. Right. You know, yeah. which the church is quite, quite good at. Um, 
we'll, we'll you know, that sure we thing. double down on both sides. We can't lose. Um, and then when they're done, they can pat themselves on the back and say, well, look at all these great priests who work so hard to save everybody. Um, yeah. yeah. What do you What do you mean? We could have done something else and done more. I don't know what you're talking yeah, about. Well, Look at all these amazing priests. I I will push back a a little bit because I don't think the Catholic Church or or organized Christianity period uh, was playing both sides so much as uh, punishing as best they could the the powers within them that were supporting the other side while they actively supported the status quo, and then when the status quo changed, saying. Oh, but look at all these guys. Um, well, that's what I mean. That's said, what I mean. They it's become like, heroes well, of the faith. I, I consider right? like they're not they're not actively playing both sides until post facto. That that's um, true. I, well, what I mean yeah. is that like you know, you're you're right. Like the church is going to go along with the status quo, whatever the status quo happens to be at the time. Um, yeah. It, it, what I mean though is that like they're probably not punishing, maybe not punishing like on a on a boots on the ground level those people who are yeah. working just in case a little bit to a certain extent like oh well we're not gonna like hunt them down and excise them from our ranks actively as hard as we could just in case i think unfortunately there are there are probably historical uh where we could see those things actually happening yeah i know i know there are right yeah, no, there absolutely yeah. are. I mean, because there's there's lots of yeah. evidence of the Catholic Church like working actively working with the fascists, especially in certain countries. Right. right. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. It, it, you sort of get with it, with an organization that large and complicated. You're you're always going to get sort of cellular behavior where one group right. is actively operating in opposition to other parts of the group. Uh, but right. you know, my, you're, you, my either way, my point being mainly that they did sort of bend over backwards trying to pat themselves on the back afterwards. Um, and you know, he becomes an avatar for that after they're not going to, he's not getting, he's not being punished is what I'm saying. I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, as soon as it's sort of well known what he did during, during even, even, even if it was only a little bit, like, you know, we see him stories of him sort of, you know, slow walking the Germans up to the bell tower to give the resistance time. Like, even if it's little things like that, he's going to become sort of a, a person that the becomes uh, somebody that the church is going to want to say, like, well, look at all the things he did during the war to, like, um, you know, fight back against the Nazis, right? So, I don't know. It's it's just, you know, it. I, I just don't, I don't view the thing at the end as a punishment. He might see it as a punishment, like the way he talks about it, right? He doesn't like... The fact they'll have to talk about rabbits, <laughs> right? And shit, bless some cows. Uh, yeah. But then again, there's some. There's a lot of in that moment. To a certain extent, we might be getting Melville doing a little bit of actual work uh, with the character to say, like, well, he has his vanity too, right? And now, right now, he's been given a position that is that is against his ego, right? Like he was the most important religious figure for all these people for a very long time. And now right. he's going to be the guy who comes in, like gives last rites and blesses cows, um, you know? Right. And that's right. not a prestigious Absolutely. position. That's not, that's not, um, that doesn't match his vanity. Right. And as he says himself, it'll take generations to build up a community, uh, a church community that will feed his vanity. Uh, whether or not he phrases it exactly right. like that or thinks about it exactly like that. But yeah, there's one thing, sort of throwaway thing I want to mention real quick. 
Um, and that is the the two old ladies who France stays with toward the end of the war. Uh-huh. Um, who who bring her back, and and Barney's like, oh, I would have come picked her up. Uh, they say yes. Well, yeah. we came to see the shaved women, right? Uh, and just just thought we might drop her off. Um, do you know what they're referring to? Absolutely, the shaved women. Yes, I'm very well aware yeah. of. I. Uh, yeah. Alas, I, despite my best efforts, I'm fairly well versed in sort of <laughs> the post-war period. Yeah, um, I uh, I realize that the uh, I mean probably not the only reason I know what they're referring to, but uh, I think my first experience, uh, my first exposure to that happening and that concept was in the backstory of Hiroshima Mon Amour. Oh, uh, I know it because of Saving and, Private Ryan. Oh, there you go. It's in Saving um, Private Ryan. Uh, or, or Band of Brothers, it's one of those two. They both came out yeah. so, they're so closely yeah. associated in my mind, I can't actually separate them. But probably, I think, yeah. Saving Private Ryan. Um, Saving Private Ryan, I think. L, yeah. L in Hiroshima Monomore, who is played by Emmanuel Riva, who is Barney here as right. well. That was her first role, was Hiroshima Monomore. Um, she plays someone who has previously had her head shaved for her relationship right. with a German soldier during the war. Um, yeah. Uh, so I don't know if that's meant to be a reference to Hiroshima Mon Amour uh, or yeah, just my, it something could, from it the book. Be. I think it might just, just be a reference to the post-war yeah. period. Like That's such a like a cultural yeah, touchstone right. for French people post-war. Yeah. Like, that's just a thing. And, and these... T- these two sisters traveling into the city to, I, to just to gawk. My favorite. I'm very deeply funny. fascinated so, by these two spinsters. Yeah. I'm going to use I, like yeah. in that you combine the fact that they came in there to gawk, which is very fitting, right? It's very appropriate. It feels yeah. exactly accurate to character or whatever, right? But you combine that with the fact that like they've been absolute peaches throughout the entire movie about France, and the moment they're like, "We can get yeah. rid of this," they're like, "Oh, your kid's a shithead." <laughs> Yes. Take yes. him away, please. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, the moment yes. they're aware that they can, like, they, because, like, at no other time is it ever implied that France is, like, a problem. But the moment yeah. they're, like, can be rid of her, like, yeah, oh, yeah, your kid is absolutely a terror. Like, we, she's a nuisance. She causes us trouble. Get her out. And it's like, yeah. that's so yeah. funny that, like, th- that also, they're, they're very, w- for such minor, minor characters, they are actually fairly well characterized. In that they yeah. have those kind of tonal shifts where, like, they take glee in, like, seeing the, the people being punished for relationships, the women being punished for relationships. They they are actually annoyed by the their, this woman's daughter, but just never wanted to say anything when the war was on because they didn't want to be those kinds of people, right, that were, like, would right, right. make, you know, they, they're, they're, they're air quote, you know, they are, quote, unquote, good people, right? They're good French people who would, well, I'm not going to, you know, but. You know, who God only knows what they say about you know <laughs> France and like and their mom behind her back. You know what I mean? That sort of stuff. Right? Yeah, it's it's just very funny. I don't know. Um, I find them very delightful characters, despite the fact that we only spend a very minor amount of time with them. Well, I mean, we even get the backstory of one of them and her sort of like built like like leftover resentments about class hierarchy, where she's like, "Oh, right. but I you know I couldn't marry my love because you know we were of the class difference." But then, you know, he died of, and I forget what fever, but he died of, yeah, so, like whooping cough or something. He shit. died of the like, influenza, I think yeah, it was. And it's like, okay, oh. like, it's so, like, they have, they have so much fucking backstory for these two characters. And they're like, well, if you were going to make this movie 
and not make it be scary. That's what I would want to see is I would want to see a lot of really backstory filled characters who make a really weirdly alive world. Uh, and I suspect yeah. that that's what the 45 minutes actually is. Uh, yeah, and I'd be no, kind of okay I, with that. You would meet a bunch of interesting characters along the way. Like these are all the characters you could meet during the occupation, right? Yeah. Some of them are like scared. Some of them are scared, and their lives are bad. And some of them are not, and their lives are fine. And we can kind of learn about them. But we also don't get that either, except for these two right. ladies. They're it. They're the only two. Yeah. But we, I, I'm delighted by them. Yeah, um, <laughs> they're very fun. Um, given this is a movie that actively plays with lesbianism, yeah, I wonder if those two. Uh, who are presented to us as sisters. Um, yeah. But as oh, one that's... talks about her background story, as one talks about her background story, the other is not involved in that story at all. Right, right. Um. Uh, so I wonder if they are meant to be it's quite uh, possible. a balance. Yeah, to... I mean, it's quite possible, right? Because like that, they do, they would fit into that. They fit into either archetype, right? There's yeah. sort of both archetypes exist, and we're not given a clear indication of which one it is. Uh, right. And, and and I think it's just left ambiguous, right? Like, it's definitely possible, but we're just like, well, we're never going to find out. And I think, to a certain extent, that's fine. You know, I, I just, I don't know. I think I would have much like, as you mentioned before, the the young woman who gets killed for a relationship with, with, the, with a German soldier. I would like, you know, yeah. those are the kinds of people I would like more backstory. Like... Honestly, Barney's friends, just in general, broadly speaking, I would like more backstory. We don't ever yeah. get to know any of them in any capacity. Even Christine is not fleshed out. She's just somebody who's right. in the room sometimes with Barney as somebody else for Barney to talk to who's not uh, yeah. Leon. Right. Like, Chris, Christine just gets a second, a second location relationship and as such becomes a rounder character. Right, it. exactly. But like her friend... Her friend who's part of the resistance, who is the one who tells her that they're going to kill the bicycle girl, uh, who uh, got into the argument with her uh, for refusing to house the uh, the Jewish family. Um, and then after Barney threatened her, uh, says, oh, no, I was just joking. I'll do it. Of course, I'll do it. Um, and uh, And who France is staying with at first. Um, I could have could have happily known more about her. Exactly, uh, that's what I'm and saying. Is like, her life in many ways, yeah. right? She exists exclusively to deliver a couple pieces of information to Barney, and that's it. Yeah, and yeah. like, and she is just a she's a very shallow archetype of like woman who is like independent, like strong, independent woman who's part of the resistance. Like, yeah, that's her character description in the like in the script or whatever. Right. And then they never like go any further with that. And that's all that is kind of disappointing. I don't, I, I don't know. Like I, in the end, like I kind of, I didn't have high hopes for the movie, but I was wrong in many ways. Like, because when you, I was wrong, but then I was right. I had really high hopes of the movie because I read the synopsis, right? You, as you, one does yeah. when one is, about to watch a movie on Criterion Channel, like I kind of always sort of click through and just read what it has to say. I'm always kind of curious to see like what what inane bullshit did you write in here? Um, and it makes it sound like it's going to be a hot and heavy, like to a certain extent, it makes it sound like it's going to be a hot and heavy sort of like relationship. 
And then yeah. the movie spends a lot of time with her not really in a forbidden relationship except for the possibly the, the burgeoning lesbian one. And I'm like, oh, movie, you're doing something totally unexpected for me right now. And then it kind of comes back around and fucking kicks me in the balls and says, no, 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 this is the movie you thought it was. Um, pretty much. Although, at least it's not as bad as I thought it was going to be because I really assumed that it would be forbidden relationship but it is pursued, you know what I mean? Actively, I just assumed. Um, but it's not very fulfilling yeah. on that. I don't know. I, I it's just weird to me because like everything tells me that like this that people like this movie. That this movie is well regarded, and yeah. I just honestly can't see it. It's fine. I I've s- I think it's well shot. I just don't think it's intellectually stimulating. Exactly. In the and ways that's, that I mean, it seems like it should be. Right, so, exactly. That's what it is. It's yeah. disappointing. You're like, this movie yeah. should have been immensely interesting. And I think could right. have been. More time on those, I mean, honestly, more time on those like those religious, philosophical religious discussions and having them pertain much more closely to the occupation and their positions yep. and roles in the occupation being one of the primary obsessions of those conversations would have made this movie a million times better. Right. And instead, Absolutely. it's just like, again, 101 ways to like convert an atheist book working yep. against beginner's guide to, to the communist atheism book having... Right a sort of non-respondent conversation with each other where like they're both just sort of reading lines from the book at each other. Yeah. Um, being wrote. Yeah. No, it's, uh, yeah. Um, I can think of, you know, at least a handful of other directors who I would find, uh, who I think would, would have handled those intellectual conversations much more oh, yeah, interestingly absolutely. than Melville does here. And I don't, you know, it's fine for him not to be I interested fault in Melville but, for that. Yeah. But here's the problem is that yeah. Melville picked the story that he wanted to make. Right. Right. And yeah. he picked one that, that at, at its fundamental core is reliant on people developing a relationship surrounding philosophical religious conversations. Right. You can't make those conversations not interesting. And these conversations, right. and even if they weren't good conversations, the conversations should be engaging. They are not engaging conversations. They are, they are not really. They are boring to listen to. Almost yeah. every time those two started talking, I kind of started to zone out. I'm like, well, yeah. okay, I've heard all these conversations before. In ba- I, I, I attended college. Um, right. And, and it's like, okay. And then as soon as she's about to like, as soon as it like hits an emotional hinge where like now it's not about the conversation anymore, my brain would be like, okay, well, now I can pay attention again because we're going to get plot. Um, and it should yeah. have been that way. Those conversations should have been interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, speaking of interesting conversation, uh, there's one other thing um, from the uh, bonus. The bonus feature is a four-minute interview. Uh, and we talked earlier because it's principally about how beautiful Jean-Paul Beaumont is. Yeah, no, it's absolutely but, about that pretty much. It's just that. Yeah. Uh, well, he has a gun for point, some reason. I don't know why. Yeah. He's a flintlock from, pistol uh, for some reason. I could read the subtitle. Yeah, I couldn't read the, the subtitle yeah. fast enough to catch it, so I was like, "Oh, I give up." Yeah, yeah. Um, at one point, the interviewer asks Melville, uh, "says So you worked really closely with uh, with Beatrix Beck, right? Uh, who is the author of the novel?" 
And and he says no. <laughs> right. Oh, right. Where yeah, we talked about this before recording. I forgot we didn't talk yeah. about this on we recording. We talked about it before recording. I, I, that's, yeah. a, well, that's one of the few moments where I, like, I legitimately actually do admire him for certain sort of intellectual sort of things he's doing. Yeah. Like, I completely, he makes the argument that, like, asking the director or asking the author to, to write the screenplay or participate in the making of the movie is a bad thing to do. And his yeah. argument is that you are asking, essentially asking the author to betray themselves, to, like, ruin their work. Yes. Because no matter what, they can't make that same book again, right? They have to make a different thing, and it's going to... And movies and films are, or movies and books are different things. They work differently, and you're you're essentially asking the the author to like um, sort of impeach their work. And yeah, I, I do admire. I actually legitimately admire him for making that that choice, because like it, I really do feel like that's the way it should work, right? I don't think this has ever been pulled off correctly. Yeah, um, I bet if we sat down, oh, I'm and sure. really dug it out. We've probably seen movies where it worked. I think it's it mostly a failure, though. We can we can think, certainly think of a lot of movies, uh, principally around the works of Stephen King. Yes, yeah, Stephen King is the more the author is involved with. The, well, so yes. what I think it is though is so, is that I think if the author has a very very if the author is very emotionally mature and appropriately detached from their work and can understand that they're making a different product. Yeah, it works, but that's a that's a very mature author, right? That is somebody who is yeah. that understands that. Well, well, I'm making a new story here. Yeah, it's got the same maybe same bones as the old one, but this is a new thing, and I'm making it. And it's right. I can allow it to diverge as much or as little as I choose. It, you know what I mean? You just don't get that very often, right? Because they 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 put a lot of time and energy into making the thing, the first thing. It's, right. You know that's really hard. And, and we, you know, why put them in that position? We've had. We've had authors acting as uh, adapters do that, I feel mm-hmm. like. I, I feel like uh, um, Last Picture Show from the BBS set. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The author was was heavily involved and, and in smart ways and recognizing what needed to change and what, what didn't. And that they were crafting a different thing. Right, to the right. Absolutely. I just uh, think that put, uh, purposely trying to put authors in that position is sort of a bad idea. If they yeah. want to do it and they sort of like jump at the chance, well, maybe in that situation you've got a you've got it where like okay, well this you know they can handle it, but like right. I don't know. I feel like more often than not, that's always the like. Well, I work whenever like somebody's adapting. Well, I worked very closely with the author, and it's like, well, that that's probably going to be a stinker. Yeah, this yeah. one's not going to work out all that great. <laughs> yeah, uh, absolutely fair. Uh, there yeah. was there was one so, thing I wanted to. Uh, Sorry to like, I wanted to loop back about something. So I don't know if we want yeah, to keep sure talking about the author. I was talking about, we were talking a, a minute or two ago about the idea that like, well, the movie centers around these religious conversations and I want them to be interesting. I do have a counterpoint to that, which I okay. think there should just be less of them. And the reason <laughs> why is because we, we already sort of talked about the fact that like her faith or lack thereof is if- very shallow. And and therefore, if the I conversations. Go ahead. If the conversations had been more weighty and actually interesting, the amount of them would be fine. Right, right. But here's uh, my my argument is is that we're supposed to understand that she her lack of faith is more or less a sort of, um. Sort of, again, we talked about like her molding to the shape of the whatever 
Right. The, right. So the fact the, that it's uh, not even a response to the war is just right. I think what? Uh, we have two <laughs> issues. We is doing? It, it doesn't. Like, res- the the conversations don't center around the war, which they should, regardless of how deep or not deep her lack of faith is. Right. She. Right. Right. In theory, should be looking for answers. Right. She. In theory, she's yeah. looking for answers. She's coming to a priest to get answers. They should still probably be about the war, or at least her place in this world, right? They're not. Right. They're her just sort of, they're just bad, they're bad conversations. They're bad, like, they're all, like, bullshit lobs of, like, well, what about this thing? And, oh, well, you didn't think about this thing. They're very dumb. They're very rote, very silly. So what I'm saying is, is that because we understand that she's not deeply considered in her philosophy, and we're supposed to, I think, get that, although we should, he should be. He's also does not yeah. seem to be. That's also another problem. He should be smart about this, right? He shouldn't also be very shallow, seemingly very shallow about his faith. Uh, it's okay maybe for her to be shallow in her in her beliefs because maybe she doesn't really hold them all that strongly. Um, but in that situation, if you really need to pull that off, and you're like, well, I need her to be not very well considered in this and him to be very, very well versed and very well thought out in this sort of thing okay we'll just make the conversation shorter it's fine you could just yeah you could just cut them down a little bit so that like we don't have to have so many of them that are so shallow so often right 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 i yeah. i just realized that i was kind of like kind of working on both ends right because i would like the conversations to be deep and interesting but then again that would yeah. be counter to the character that's sort of established for her then again, I, think that's fair. I don't yeah. know that that's what the book had. Like, it's also possible that she doesn't need to be that way. It's also possible that she's a person who's very well, like, has considered the philosophy quite a bit, but is starting to find it dissatisfactory and needs to be dissuaded from this, persuaded into this new philosoph- philo- philosophical yeah. structure. If wants to be persuaded, but you could still have a very interesting conversation if you're that person. Right. Um. Yeah, I mentioned the Catholic workers in Dorothy Day earlier, and it is interesting that biographically Dorothy Day is heavily, heavily into socialism, anarchism, the IWW, uh, depending on the day, because those are all interrelated but not, uh, right. but, but ideologically distinct things ultimately. Um, until she's like twenty five, thirty, she converts to Catholicism. Right. And gets gets into the Catholic side of things, um, and you know there is there is an extent to similarities in um, in uh, Barney's life that we could draw parallels if we wanted. Um, I'm sure Dorothy Day was actually having <laughs> deep conversations. Well, that's about okay. So, things, and that right? and that's that was the point I was yeah. trying to get at is. It is not yeah. necessarily nece- It's not necessarily necessary. What the fuck? Uh, for yeah. her to be shallow, she could very much right. hold yeah. these beliefs and right. have thought about them a lot. But at this point, no longer yeah. finds them satisfying and needs something else to be presented thoughtfully and well. And maybe that's what the who knows what the fucking book is. We have no idea. Right? But like Un- as we have now. Unfortunately, the only i. Unfortunately, the only idea we have is in that interview, Melville is asked if the author likes his adaptation, and she says she loves it. Right. Uh, and if she loves it and believes it is an accurate adaptation of her work, that suggests that her writing of Barney is as shallow as Melville's. Right. Uh, 
And I hope that's not true. I hope it's but. not true though too. But then again, if this movie, if this book does to a certain extent have a sort of like romance novel, like Fabio kind of thing, well, it's probably in that situation yeah. exploring a lot more of her internal emotions. At which point, right. maybe it is satisfying because maybe the conversations don't dominate the whole fucking thing, and we're getting a lot of her right. inner monologue as she deals with this her feelings yeah. right and, and we just don't have that either right we don't have that to right. bolster these conversations maybe they are frivolous conversations but emotionally dense who knows yeah. i feel like ultimately maybe i'm just not clear on melville's relationship to the work because yeah. it seems like he wanted he approached the story as a way of exploring everyday life under occupation uh, and the various facets of that, right. but then he excised most of that right. part from the final. And we just don't film. have it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I actually uh, think based on what I've seen, Melville's sort of interpretation of everyday life under occupation, like with its focus on that, would probably be pretty interesting. Yeah, honestly, uh, or at least kind of a fun watch. Uh, but it's not in this movie. He forgot to put it in, or actually, he took it out. Maybe. Right, right, right. Yeah. So who knows? Uh, yeah. I, as I've said, I I feel like I could have I could have liked this movie more with just a few minor changes that would have really <laughs> added up to major changes. Right, honestly, right. yeah, but, yeah. Um, I mean, we we you and I have yeah. crafted in our head a radically different movie. Honestly yeah. speaking, yeah. Our our, uh, our our Monday morning Monday Monday morning quarterbacking yeah. of this movie is is pretty substantial like, actually. The the second season of the television show Fleabag, uh-huh. uh also involves a hot priest in in ways that are very reminiscent of Leon Morin. Okay, uh, I've never seen the main it, character but, falling you know. in love. Yeah, with the main character falling in love with the hot priest, um, but from a. 2020s uh postmodernism that uh yeah i mean <laughs> they're not even getting into the political discussions they're sure sure i'm sure the problem of evil comes up in as facile of a way as it comes up in this movie right uh but uh uh <laughs> barely comes up in this movie honestly even that should have been deep it's like it's yeah, a I facile mean, argument yeah. but it should have been argued more right yeah i mean well we don't even uh, get we don't even get a deep exploration of not really of yeah. the of the woman who's going to be executed right like we right 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 we don't anyway it's essentially like oh we finally found some depths to plumb fuck that we're going home yeah. we're not doing that right, nope, right. not happening yeah. yeah um yeah i think there are some interesting things going on here but i think that it could have been a lot more interesting uh and it just wasn't um one thing I do find funny is I have a habit of uh, uh, going to the TV tropes page for movies that we watch to see if there's any like tri- interesting trivia that pops up on TV uh-huh. tropes that doesn't pop up anywhere else sometimes. Um, and uh, on TV tropes, this gets listed as a Christian movie. Okay. Uh, so the the buttons at the bottom um, that allow you to just navigate down the list of whatever list it's on. Wikipedia does the same thing um, where you can just hit next article yeah, yeah. in this subcategory of articles. Uh, so the one right before it is left behind, uh, which I find very, just the idea of, of going from left behind to Leon Morin is just such a ideological <laughs> right. period. It's very silly. Uh, but yeah, 
Um, yeah. Uh, I think it's about time we pull this one to a close. Yes, I would say um, so. Yes. We've been talking about we've been talking about Leon Moore and Priest from 1961, uh, directed by Jean Pierre Melville. Um, next week, I'm really excited. Okay, uh, we'll be talking about the Music Room from 1958, directed by Satyajit Rai. Um, or Ray, uh, it's our first, uh, our first of his films. Um, well, I'm excited. I didn't, I have not looked ahead in our list, so this is all news to me. That'll be next week. Thank you so much for listening to Lost in Criterion. I am, as always, the Adam Glass. With me, as always, John Patrick Oatari Dorian. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. to Lost in Criterion with co-hosts The Adam Glass and John Patrick Oitari Dorgan. With the collapse of Twitter, who knows what social media we might end up at. How about Blue Sky? That sounds great. Check out the official podcast account at lostincriterion.bsky.social. Jonathan Hape does our music, and you can check out more of his work at jonathan-hape.com or on any music streaming service. And you probably should. He's pretty good. A big thanks to everyone who supports us on Patreon. You can join their ranks at patreon.com slash lostincriterion. And hey, thank you for listening.